Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody here. Glad to see those of you who are there with us online, uh, whether you're there on Facebook or Twitter at HBC Tullahoma or YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma. Uh, you can search us on either one of those. We do have our phone live streaming. We mentioned that this morning uh, that we have changed our 800 number. It is still a toll-free call for you uh, to be able to call in to us, but we have changed that number. If you want that number, uh, please call the church office and we'll be glad to give it to you. If you're here in person and you want, uh, see me after the service and I'll give that number to you. Uh, just trying to control our costs a little bit more there uh, with that. So, But it is still there. If you're already subscribed, uh, nothing changes for you other than that you'll see a different uh, ID on your um, caller ID uh, with that number uh, that it's calling from. Uh, if you're there online, we encourage you to go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download the worship bulletin, the children's worship bulletins, ages three and up and seven and up. Uh, it's also there that you can download the prayer list as well as the monthly uh, newsletter. So I encourage you to take the time to do those things so that you can see what's upcoming. We've got a lot of events upcoming as uh, we're getting close to Easter. Uh, if you're here in person, be sure to grab one of our bulletins and you'll find uh, lots of things that are coming up. You'll even find our Easter services uh, in there and what we're going to be doing with that. Um, minus one thing that we may be adding a little bit later. So uh, we'll let you know about that as we get closer. Uh, also, don't forget that while you're there on the website, you can go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab. Uh, very easy platform there. You can set up your online giving. You can do that in person through your phone, however you want to do that. You can designate your offering. Uh, also, don't forget that we're giving to our Annie Armstrong Easter offering uh, this month up through Easter. So be sure to continue to give towards that. Uh, Miss Rima, how much is it? Sixteen hundred? We have in the bulletin, something like that. So uh, we're, we've got a ways to go to reach our seventy-two hundred, seven thousand uh, goal. So I want to encourage you. I'm trying to push this a little bit further, <laughs> so, uh, but we're way down there. So I encourage you to pray about giving towards that to support our North American missionaries, and you can designate that on your online giving as well as you can designate that on an envelope. Uh, how you want to do that, and then also don't uh, forget that we are doing our Revelation study on Wednesday nights. We've got the Revelation prophecy chart. I've got a few of those left tonight. Uh, still have one of the uh, numbers in Revelation uh, paper left. Uh, also, we'll be getting into the prophecies uh, beginning uh, this Wednesday, so I encourage you to come and join us or to join us there online. And then also don't forget that we've got, I counted just a while ago, I think we've got three of these left uh, that are not in the uh, guest bags uh, of the Illustrated Life of Jesus. So be sure to pick up one of those if you need one of those, uh, or if you want to share that with someone, uh, pick up one of those. So glad to have everybody here. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Aren't you glad Jesus loves sinners? Where would we be? Song tonight is 563 in your green hymnal. It is Christ Receiveth Sinful Men. So let's sing 563. Miss Pat. Sinner Jesus, we see. Sing in war and 
Thank you, Brother Mike, and thank you, Miss Pat. Take your Bibles, if you will, tonight and turn to the next chapter, Matthew chapter 9 uh, in our Bibles as we continue our somewhat chronological uh, walk through the Gospels here in the life uh, of Jesus. And so uh, Matthew in chapter 9, we're going to be reading uh, to begin with from verse 1 and verse 2, and then we're just going to continue on. There's going to be one little section that we're going to skip in this uh, for the chronological sake, uh, and that's going to be verses 14 down through verse 17. So you see on the screen it's verse 1 through 13, and then 18 through 26. And I've entitled the message tonight, The Power to Save, or The Authority to Save. Uh, and that's what we're going to see as we look at the life of Jesus. Uh, we're still continuing to see his authority uh, over various different things that he has authority over everything. Uh, and so uh, that's what we're going to see tonight. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, verse 2. Let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith... He said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage tonight and we are seeing the message of the power to save, that Jesus has the power to save us, not only the power to heal us, uh, not only the power over uh, disease and over death and over uh, destruction and over uh, disasters, over uh, the, the demons even. Uh, Father, help us to see tonight his authority over our lives to bring salvation to our souls. And Father, I pray that as we see the miracles, uh, may we not get caught up too much in the miracle other than to see the application for how it applies to our lives today. And, and Father, I pray that you will speak your truth into our hearts. Help us, Lord, to let your word be that lamp into our feet and light into our path to guide us uh, in, in our life, in our choices of life, the way we live, the things we do. And Father, we just ask your blessings upon uh, your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So Matthew begins uh, literally here a third miracle story cycle, if you will, here in chapter 9 and verse 1 down through verse 18. And this story is the only record that we have in the entire gospel of Matthew where Jesus forgives a specific individual. And it happens to a man who doesn't even ask for forgiveness. So understand that and pay attention to that. This man was paralyzed. He had a physical problem. And so his friends brought him to Jesus for healing. But we don't hear anything in his request, anything in their request uh, for forgiveness. So try to put yourself in this man's shoes or on his mat, if you will, because that's the way they had to carry him uh, there. And just imagine what, it, what would be going through your mind if the first thing Jesus says to you, if he says to you, take heart, or have courage, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now think about that. Forgiveness may not be what he's looking for. He's looking for Jesus to give him a physical healing. He's looking for Jesus to say, get up off that mat, boy, and walk, and, and up he goes, and he's off on his way. Uh, that's what he's looking for is the physical healing. Uh, but notice here, as forgiveness may not have been what he was looking for, 
therein may be the key to the whole story. The text doesn't specifically say, but it seems as if this man and his friends were hoping Jesus would heal his paralysis. And Jesus astounds everyone when he says, in effect, you've got a much deeper issue. Now, sometimes when we're going through physical things, we don't always think of that. We think of the immediate thing that we're going through. We think of the, the financial struggle we're going through. We think of the marital struggle we're going through. We think of the, the world pressures that we're facing and the worldly pressures of this life that we're facing. And we don't always think about, is there really a deeper issue in my heart that needs to be dealt with? And so the first thing I want you to see from these verses in verse 1 through verse 8 is that Jesus has authority over sin. Jesus has authority over sin. So, so Matthew makes it very plain. He, he makes it very clear that Jesus has authority over sin. So let's go back and, and or just continue on here with verse 3 uh, and continue on through the rest of the verses here down through verse 8. It says, and behold, some of the scribes <clears throat> said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such, what? Authority to men. Because they're still seeing Jesus as a man. Uh, so Matthew makes it very plain and clear here in these verses that Jesus has the authority over sin. A lot of people in the first century would have equated this man's disability with sin. Uh, when you read John chapter 9, uh, people basically assumed a certain man who was blind was blind either due to his own sin or due to the sins of his parents. Uh, and, and so it's likely here that people are thinking, here's this paralytic man, I wonder what he must have done, or I wonder what his parents uh, must have done, that, that the, the reason that he was paralyzed uh, was due to sin. And so the text doesn't tell us whether or not uh, this man's sickness was due to a particular sin in his life. But nevertheless, the point is made and still stands. All suffering that we face in this world, no matter what it is, and no matter how big it is or how small it is, is ultimately caused by sin in this world. If you think about every sickness that we face, it may not be a result of your direct sin, but it's a result of sin in the world. Uh, if you think about your financial issues or your marital problems or whatever the problem might be, it may not be specifically because of something you chose to do, but it's because of sin in general in the world. Now, it may be because of something you specifically chose to do, and that's what uh, only you and the Lord can examine in your own heart. And so the text doesn't tell us whether or not this man's sickness was due to a particular sin. So the miracle story teaches us here that Jesus' authority penetrates to the root of all suffering. The root of all suffering that we face in this world is sin. If you think about all the evil things that have happened in this world, 
You think of all the mass bombings. You think of all the mass suicides, the, the mass killings that have happened. You think of wars that have happened. It's all because of sin. Uh, and and the, the authority of Jesus penetrates to the root of all suffering. So Jesus is teaching us that our ultimate need is never physical. Our ultimate need is always spiritual. So no matter what we're facing, it's always a spiritual issue. And that holds true no matter what type of suffering that we're experiencing. If we're suffering as a result of our own sin, then the need that we have that's the greatest need for us to address is spiritual. We go to the core of where we are. Where am I at in my relationship with God? Have I sinned in my relationship with God? There's things that we can do in this world uh, that bring consequences upon ourselves. You go speeding down the highway and, and the speed limit says 55 and you're doing 65. What can happen? You can get pulled over. You can get a ticket because you weren't obeying the rules. And so because we disobeyed the rules, there's consequences for that. Uh, now the officer, he may let you off with a warning. He may not. Uh, that may be grace out of his own uh, doing. But the thing we need to realize is there is consequences for the things that we do. So we go to the core of where am I in my relationship with God? On the other hand... Even if we're suffering simply as a result of living in this sinful world, our ultimate need is still spiritual. So whether it's because of something we did or whether it's because of sin in general, the need is still the same. It's a spiritual need. And so we see that Jesus' authority over sin infuriated the scribes, the teachers of the law. Because what they knew was, who could forgive sin? Only God. Only God could forgive sin. And so here is Jesus. Here's this man that they look at as a man, as a prophet, as a good man. And he's forgiving someone of their sins. Only God is able to forgive sins is what they had in their minds. And so only God is able to calm the winds and the waves. We saw that from some passages we read in, in the Psalms this morning. Only God is able to command disease. Only God can forgive sins. And so because Jesus does all these things, what can you conclude? Jesus is God. In other words, the king is here. The good news is not that Jesus will heal all of your sickness. Uh, after all, uh, we don't send missionaries around the globe and say, uh, trust in Jesus and, and whatever disease you have will be gone. The good news isn't that you will instantly be given better health, but that Jesus will forgive you of all your sins. That's the gospel message. And that's what we need the most. Because when our sins are forgiven... The root problem is severed. And all the other struggles that we face in this world as a believer are temporary. And so we could use Paul's language here out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 and verse 17 where he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This old body on the outside may be falling apart. It may be getting weaker and weaker and, and having all kinds of issues and physical problems. But the inner self can be being renewed day by day. Notice verse 17, for this light momentary affliction. And you may be thinking right now, preacher, what I'm going through isn't a momentary 
light affliction. But in the, in, in the light of eternity, it is. Because notice what he says. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond what you could ever imagine. What you are going through is light in compared to the glory that you're going to experience uh, beyond. And that's the news that we need to hear. That's the news that we need to spread around the world. No matter what you've done uh, against God, and no matter how sinful your past or your present might be, God is gracious. And through Jesus Christ, he will wipe away all your sins. And so notice that very first thing he said to the paralytic in verse 2. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus addresses the root problem first, then the physical problem later. Because remember what he said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or, or to say, rise up and walk. And he said, so that I'll prove to you that I am who I say I am. I I say to this man, by the authority, uh, I've been given this authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he did just that. How awesome that is. Notice that Jesus also has the authority to save. The authority to save. Uh, He has the authority to save in verse 9. So as... As we read here, uh, we see that Jesus pursues sinners. In in his authority to save, he pursues sinners. Verse 9 says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. So Matthew here is recounting the story of his own call to discipleship, to a relationship with Jesus Christ and then a a life of service to Christ. And so Jesus has already declared his authority over sin in the previous verses. And now he's he's demonstrating uh, that authority with a sinner named Matthew. And so Jesus, we see, has the authority to save, even in the case of tax collectors. Now you think about the time of year that we're in. We're filing our taxes. Tax collectors, even back then, uh, they were constantly interacting with, uh, back then they were interacting with the unclean Gentiles, the non-Jews. They were uh, known for taking advantage of people. Uh, we don't like the tax man. We don't like to have to pay uh, taxes. And, and back in those days, they were taking advantage of the Jewish people for the sake of the, the, the Roman Empire and for the sake of their, their own pockets. But nevertheless... Jesus goes to this man who is a tax collector, who is one of the most despised people uh, in, in the culture there. He goes straight to this despised man because Jesus pursues sinners. Understand this, you didn't pursue him, he pursued you. He loved you first and then you loved him. Now you had a choice in that. But you you chose to love him after he chose to love you. We also see that Jesus not only pursues sinners, he calls sinners. Jesus calls sinners. And we see that again in verse 9 and continuing on down uh, through verse 10. So as Jesus passed on from there, he saw this man, Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And notice what he says to him. Two words, follow me. One word in the Greek. 
and he arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So notice here that the call of Matthew is a wonderful demonstration of the fact that Jesus pursues sinners. After all, why would he choose Matthew? Jesus was surrounded by tons of people. Uh, we just read in, in the previous chapters uh, how, how people came from everywhere. And they were hearing about all these miracles. They were crowding the houses. Uh, they were crowding the, uh, the, the open fields around. And, and there was so much that as we read in the, the previous passage in chapter 8, Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side because it was such a crowd of the people. Well, we see that Jesus was surrounded by tons of people. And his miracles were attracting quite a crowd. And yet, out of all those people, he chooses to pursue Matthew and calls him and says, follow me. Now think about what Matthew does here. Matthew is being called by Jesus to leave his post, to leave his position, and to leave his possessions. That's a big step for any of us. To, to leave our job that we have, that, that we're, the community that we are living in. Maybe we've grown up in a place all our life or, or maybe we've moved from one place to another as the Lord has, has led. Uh, but we see here, here's Matthew who's called to leave his post, called to leave the place that he's at. He's also called to leave his position. He's called to, he's worked himself up to where he's, he's not one of the low guys on the totem pole. He's the actual guy that's collecting the money from the people. I mean, that was the cushy job to get because you could pad the, the taxes just a little bit and take a little bit more than what you were supposed to take for yourself. And so in the worldly standards, he had risen to, to a good position. He had lots of possessions because he was doing that. Uh, tax collectors were, were notorious to do that. And so tax collectors were usually fairly wealthy because there was so much room for profit in their business. So this was a significant financial and career sacrifice. He wasn't a common, ordinary fisherman. He wasn't uh, the, someone uh, maybe on the lower end of the, uh, of, of the socioeconomic status. He's someone who has a significant career. And so think about this. If following Jesus doesn't work out for Matthew, what's he going to do? When he's filling out job applications somewhere and they see tax collector, who's going to want to hire him? Oh, no, we don't want that guy. You know what tax collectors are like. And so undoubtedly this was a huge moment in Matthew's life as he drops everything. He drops his, his place that he's at, his position that he has, and his possessions. And for most of us, we would be crying our eyes out, why do I got to leave this place? And why do I got to leave these people? And why do I got to leave all the possessions that I have and, and this position that I've got? And what if this all doesn't work out? Nobody's going to want to hire me. And so notice here that he drops everything to follow Jesus and notice he doesn't leave his tax booth in a, I guess I got to follow Jesus. I got to do it. I mean, I got to leave my money. I got to leave this job. You don't see him in a, in a spirit of grim resignation. What does he do? Immediately after stepping out to follow Jesus, he throws a banquet. He throws a party. 
and, and, and invites his friends who are also a bunch of sinners. He has a feast for sinners. And so notice when we get to verse 11 and through verse 13 that Jesus satisfies sinners. Jesus satisfies sinners. So uh, verse 11, uh, we notice actually back in verse 10, there were many tax collectors. So Matthew wasn't the only one. A lot of his tax collector friends were there. And sinners came. They were reclining with Jesus. Uh, so they're, they're close to Jesus. They're there with his disciples. And then get the picture here in verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, we can't stand this. He's with sinners. These Pharisees saw this and they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he out there eating with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the drug dealers? Why is he doing that? He shouldn't be doing that is what they're saying and implying in their question. This is not a, a question for information. They're making an accusation against Jesus. And so verse 12 says, but when he heard it, so Jesus hears what they said. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I probably skipped a verse uh, in there that I'm going to share with you in a moment. Notice we've already seen here that Jesus pursues and calls sinners. Now we see he satisfies sinners. Because this really upset the Pharisees. Because they ignored sinners. I mean, you remember Jesus even tells us a story of the Good Samaritan, and it was the Jewish leaders. Remember, it was Jewish leaders that he says in the story that walks by. There's a priest that walks by. There's a Levite that walks by. Jewish leaders. And nobody wants anything to do with this man who's been robbed and, and beaten and left for dead. And the only one who stops is the, the outcast, is the Samaritan who stops, the Good Samaritan who stops to take care of that man. And so uh, notice they ignored sinners. That was their lifestyle. And Jesus will point that out later. They stayed away from the tax collectors. They stayed away from those who were ceremonially uh, unclean and culturally uh, clean, uh, unclean like themselves. Uh, and, and so we realize uh, that what, what these Pharisees didn't realize, that we are all sinners in need of God's grace and God's mercy. Because Jesus points this out and, and points out to us that, that sick people clearly need a doctor. But sinful people desperately need a redeemer. That's what verse 12 told us. And, and this is why Jesus came. And this is why he quotes Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6 where he says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God than burnt offerings, to make clear that he has come to change sinners' hearts, not to prop up the people who think that they are righteous through their religious traditions and their ritualistic worship. But then notice we see that Jesus has authority over death. So we go down to verse 18 and we read about another miracle. So verse 18 begins in verse 18 and verse 19 and says, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, 
my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Now, if you remember just a little while back, we read where Jesus had a similar situation and, and the, the, the person's child was dying and, and Jesus says, no, I'll, I'll wait. And he, just, he takes his time. And then the news comes later that the child has died. Jesus, you don't need to bother to come. But now Jesus uh, goes. And we see here in this verse that he goes. So the picture here we get uh, of Jesus' authority gets even better because not only does Jesus have the authority to save, he also has authority over death. So Matthew gives us two miracle stories in, in one episode, if you will. So notice the faith of those who approach Jesus in this passage. First of all, uh, you, you have a leader named Jairus. We don't have his name here in Matthew, but we do uh, in the other Gospels. His name is Jairus, who comes and kneels before Jesus. So he, he's coming in reverence before Jesus. He's coming submitting to Jesus in, in, in all his authority. And Jairus confesses that Jesus has the authority to save his daughter. Maybe he heard about the previous miracles uh, where God had brought people back from the, Jesus had brought people back from the dead already. And so he comes before him. He knows that he has the authority to save his daughter. The news is already there. My daughter has already died. And I know that you can heal her. And so then on the way to see Jairus's daughter, a woman who had been sick and unclean and socially ostracized for 12 years touches Jesus. And Matthew tells us about that as we go on in uh, to verse 20. So behold, a, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. So think about what's going on here. Uh, to add insult to injury, this wasn't only just a physical problem. This is also a spiritual problem. Because according to Jewish law, this lady was ceremonially unclean. That means that she wasn't allowed to go to the temple. She wouldn't be allowed to come to church. She wouldn't be allowed to participate in, in the Jewish religious life. It's all but certain that she couldn't have a social life because people couldn't touch her for fear that, that they would catch what she had or, or that they themselves would become defiled and then they wouldn't be able uh, to worship at the temple either. And so yet she believed that she would be made well if only she could touch the hem of Jesus' garment, which is exactly what she did that we read there in verse 20 and 21. And notice here, when Jesus is touched, he stops immediately in the middle of a crowd of people. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to an amusement park and and there's a crowd of people or you're being uh, herded into a line to go into some place. Uh, maybe it's like a Black Friday thing and you're, you're trying to go in and all the people are crowding around you and you're just trying to squeeze in, don't touch me, don't press me. And, and that's kind of the idea here. Everybody's crowded around Jesus. Uh, there, there are crowds all around him. And, and notice uh, he looks at this woman in verse 22. He turned, Jesus turned in verse 22. And seeing her, he said, take heart, be of courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. 
and instantly the woman was made well. Here's the picture for us to get from this story and from this miracle. That even in a crowd, Jesus gives hope in the midst of despair. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're out in the boondocks, you're out in the desert places away from everybody else, or you're in a crowded place amongst so many others. I mean, think about this. Think about how many people are on the face of this planet. Seven billion people almost. And yet, God cares about you. That's awesome. That's awesome to think of, that even in a crowd of people all around this world who are going through myriads of problems and and myriads of struggles, that Jesus gives hope in the midst of despair. Isn't that good news to those who are hurting, to those who are walking through pain, to those who are struggling in, in some area of their life? You aren't lost in a crowd before Jesus. He's intimately aware of every single detail of your life. He knows your struggle. And his love for you is extremely personal. In in the middle of the crowds, you have his attention. Not in some self-centered way as if all that matters is, is you, but because you're a child of God, Jesus is focused on the depths of your need and on the deepest needs that you have. And you have his undivided, affectionate attention. Jesus realizes when this woman touches him, something happened. And Jesus recognized it. And immediately he stops. He could have just kept on walking. He knew it happened. Why did he have to point it out? Because he saw it as an opportunity to teach the people a lesson. Notice what he said again to this woman. Take heart, your daughter, or have courage, your daughter. Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Your trust in the authority and the power of Jesus has made you well. Isn't that awesome? That's so encouraging for us that no matter what we're going through, that if we just trust in the authority and the power of Jesus, ultimately, it's all going to be okay. And so notice here, Jesus, this this particular story passes into the scene here, and we pick back up with his journey to Jairus' daughter. So it says in verse 23, and when, so sometime later here on his journey, when Jesus came to the ruler's house, notice what he sees. He sees the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. It's, they're, they're, there's a funeral going on. It's kind of, you think, of, when, I, when I read that, I think of, of, of New Orleans. You know how they, uh, they'll play the trumpets and the, and the saxophones and they'll s- celebrate the, the going of someone. And so uh, when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he sees the flute players, he sees the crowd making a commotion, and he says, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So get the picture here. Jesus not only brings hope in the midst of despair but he also brings life in the midst of death. The traditional funeral had already begun. 
the flute players had already been brought in. They had already hired the mourners. If you didn't know that, they did that in that day. They would hire mourners to come and to mourn along with the family. And so they're making this great commotion. They're all assembled. And Jesus says, back away. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they laugh at her. I mean, they've already examined the body. They've determined that she's dead. Of course, he knew she was dead, but he also knew that her death was only temporary. Could you imagine being at a funeral with the body in the coffin and somebody arriving and saying, whoa, 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 stop the funeral, stop the funeral, and then taking the corpse by the hand and saying, rise. That's what we see happening here. What boldness. And yet, it was with a humble authority that Jesus clears the crowd outside, takes this girl by the hand, and raises her up. Verse 25. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Wow. Jesus simply takes her by the hand and raises her up. You know, one day that's simply what Jesus is going to do for us, simply take us by the hand and the resurrection is going to happen and we're going to walk into heaven with him. With Jesus, death is only temporary. That was the message of this miracle. And that's the message for us today, that even if we die, you think about all the loved ones that we have that have already gone on to be with the Lord. Death is only temporary for us as believers. And so when we put Matthew 8 and Matthew chapter 9 together, this life-giving miracle actually begins to make sense because the one who has authority over disease, the one who has authority over natural disasters and over demons, and the one who has severed the root of all suffering with his authority over sin has authority over death itself. And that's why Paul could say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? This authority is ultimately going to be seen one day in this context here when Jesus dies on the cross. And make no mistake, as the one with power over death, Jesus really died and really was placed in a tomb. And three days later, he walked out of that tomb on his own Authority. Do you remember Jesus saying that? He said, it's not them who is taking my life. He said, it is by my own authority that I lay down my life and give it for you. Death does not have to be the last word. Jesus does have the last word. The Canadian scientist G.B. Hardy, he once said, when I looked at religion, he said, I have two questions. One, has anybody ever conquered death? And two, if they have, did they make a way for me to conquer death? He said, I checked the tomb of Buddha, and it was occupied. And I checked the tomb of Confucius, and it was occupied. And I checked the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. And I came to the tomb of Jesus, and it was empty. 
He said, and I said, there's one who has conquered death. And I asked the second question. He said, did he make a way for me to do it also? He said, I opened the Bible and I discovered that John 14 verse 19 says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. What an awesome promise for us today. That in our superficial culture, we need to hear death is real. If you haven't seen that and understood that over the last two years, I don't know what would get your attention. If you don't see that in our, in our time right now, uh, things going on in the Ukraine and, and other places around the world still, even still with, with COVID, death is real. Death is difficult. Death is painful. But with Jesus, death is only temporary. It's only temporary. So we say with Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. Dying is gain when you're with the one who has authority over death. Jesus has the power to save. Isn't that awesome? Not just to save right this moment, but to save for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome message that you've impressed upon the heart of Matthew and his gospel to share with us for this purpose, to show us the authority that Jesus has, that he is one in whom we can trust he is one who has the authority and the power over disease and over disaster and over the demons and over all kinds of things in our life. He even has the power over death as we've seen in these verses. And so, Father, I pray tonight, speak this truth into our heart that no matter what we are facing, you're still with us in the midst of the storm. Father, that if we have faith and trust in you, you will see us safely through to the other side. Lord, we pray for healing for those who are sick, for those who are going through difficult circumstances. Lord, lay your, your healing hands upon those individuals and bring that healing in such a way, Lord, that it would only be able to be described that it was the power of God that brought that healing, that we might testify of your grace and your mercy. Lord, if there are those who still have to go through even the worst, maybe that we would think through the valley of the shadow of death, help us, Lord, to have courage and comfort from the miracle we just saw here with Jairus' daughter, that Jesus has the power over death, and that if we know Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, then death is only temporary. One day, we'll be in your presence too for eternity. Lord, we long for that day and we look forward to that day. But until that day, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be faithful witnesses and to declare this message of hope to a lost and dying world around us who is suffering and who is in so much pain. Lord, we know as believers that we suffer and we have pain and we sorrow when we lose loved ones. But yet as Paul tells us, Lord, we don't sorrow as the world sorrows because we have hope. 
We have hope in the life after uh, with Christ, with you forever and ever in heaven. And so, Father, I pray that that will be the message of hope that we will share with the world around us. And, Father, I pray that you will encourage us to live in that faith and that trust and that hope, that you would use it as a witness to those who are lost and dying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. As we stand, as we sing, will you come as the Lord lays on your heart? Thank you so much for being here tonight. Can't wait for Wednesday night to uh, dig a little bit deeper into those prophecies. So you come and join us. Watch us online if you can't be here in person. But we're looking forward to a great Wednesday night. Uh, And then next Sunday we'll be back again at 915 for Sunday school, 1030 for worship. So you have a blessed week and we'll see you next time.